Well hello my friends, this is CK from the Mirths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray Puny mortals. as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Uh. Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Mirths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, slancha your good health. Honestly, if any human being ever loves me as much as you love apples, I will. I will have made it. (laughs) It's not that I love apples particularly. I enjoy an apple. It's great. It's more that I went apple picking and now have more apples that I know what to do with. I went to the grocery store and I was like, I'm an adult person with adult money. I can buy honey crisp apples, which are, you know, quadruple the price of any yeah. other apple. But who cares? I, you know, they, they bring me utter bliss. Mm-hmm. So I was like, great. I'm buying my honey crisp apples. They only happen to have organic ones in stock. Whatever. It was great. I got home. They were gala apples in the <gasps> wrong place. Oh, did you get charged for Honeycrisp and then you ended up with Gala? No, they didn't charge me for Honeycrisp. Okay. I just wasn't paying attention as I was bagging my groceries. And Tracy, I would rather eat no apples than eat a Gala apple. <laughs> I remember a girl in high school once, um, her her mom packed her lunch and she packed, I think it must have been a Gala apple in it. And the girl had horses. And she's like, why did my mom give me a horse apple? These are not for people. <laughs> Um, my horse, Shay, she's supposed to get horse apples. We buy the bags of the little apples because, you know, she's just a happy camper to have them. But my mom gives that horse Honeycrisp apples. <gasps> she straight up gives our horse Honeycrisp apples and I accidentally bought Gala. <laughs> So what I'm hearing is that your mom loves your horse more than you love yourself. Where's the lie, though? (laughs) It's okay. My mom, growing up, um, would feed our dog food. Or sorry, would feed us food. Like, um, you know, really greasy bacon or something. And we'd be like, oh, can we give a piece to the dog? And she's like, no, it's so bad for him. And we're like, you just (laughs) cooked this for your children. (laughs) Yeah, my grandma was one of those grandmas that would give little bites to her pets, mm-hmm. which they were honestly lovely animals, so it was never really a problem. Uh, but those dogs ate better than I did in college. That's just fact. Absolutely. Yeah, I I didn't eat very well in college. I, I didn't eat as bad in college as like the stereotypical college kid because I I just ate out a lot. Yeah, I... Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't eat the, do the thing that people love to say happens to pe- kids in college where they just eat only garbage. I was just so busy in college. Yeah. And actually, until 
quarantine that I would I basically just consume granola bars because I don't it fits in my pocket. Yep. Well, and as someone who's prone to migraines, I always have a granola bar, a water and an Advil on me at all times. Oh, oh, I am that person. I have a selection. Yes. (laughs) Can confirm, actually. Rowan has come in clutch for me more than one time. No, I don't mess around because there is nothing worse than having a headache in a situation where you can't fix it. Well, and I like the the kind of the kind of migraines that I get are crippling. So I'll never forget. This was the last time I ever let this happen. I was working at the candle store I worked at in early college and like blacked out at the register and had to like run to the back room. Um, And that was the last time I ever went anywhere without water and Advil and food on me. You know what I do? I, you know, when you get the sample size or the tester size of a skincare product, how they're in little containers, I save them always and hoard them like a cave creature. And I use them to put small amounts of things that I will want. Mm, That's really smart. My purse is basically just my phone and tiny jars. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is that plus some granola bars and then the I would say that's about 30% of what's in my bag and the other 70% is trash. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just have that. a tra- I'll never forget the shame I felt turning to a coworker being like, "Ugh, you know that feeling of like when your bag is just filled with trash." I was digging through it. I was like, "When it's all like receipts and just kind of trash." And she looks me dead in the eye and goes, "No. I clean out my purse every week." Oh. <laughs> wow, she really didn't want to give you anything on that. She was like, "Sorry, I don't have that experience." The deep shame that you feel when someone looks you dead in the eye and is like, no, you're a garbage person. I don't have the trash problem, but I do have the bobby pin problem and the hair tie problem where by the end of a week, I'll look in the bottom of my purse and it'll look like a graveyard of hair ties with the hair still in them. So (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Don't go in my purse. (laughs) Yeah. No, don't go in my purse. You won't like it. I'm not happy when I do it. My purse is the cheapest little red backpack. I love it. It's basically a bag of holding. It always has room for things. And if it dies, my life is over. Yeah, actually, I use a backpack, too. I have this little brown fake leather backpack that is the same thing. Of It, it used to be I only wore it when I traveled. It was like my favorite hiking travel backpack. It's like this tiny little brown backpack. But ever since quarantine, I've just switched to it. I don't want to go back because I didn't use it when I worked in an office because I felt silly walking into work with a backpack on. But now I don't care. No, the backpack is power. I, For me, personally, I don't like to have a big purse. I feel deeply uncomfortable when I have one. Couldn't tell you why. And I don't want a little purse because it doesn't hold enough of those tiny jars. So I need a backpack. <laughs> it's the ultimate in my head. It's the cool girl move. Like the whatever Lizzie McGuire cartoon of me exists in my head. She has a backpack. <laughs> so speaking of Lizzie McGuire cartoons, this is the <laughs> Willing and Fable podcast. <laughs> okay, Tracy. <laughs> that is the cartoon version of Tracy Harrison. And that's the cool girl animated Rowan Hall. <laughs> and we are the real people version of the Wooing and Fable podcast where we talk about ancient myths, local legends, 
why stories have staying power and that classy transition. <laughs> That's where we're, we're adding on to the our tagline is that um, we also do excellent, smooth, crisp transitions. Would you say it's a honey crisp transition? I would say, I would say it's not a gala transition. No. <laughs> all right, so we are on the second episode of our spooky season, and this week it's all about those mythical, magical creatures that hide in the dark. Cryptids. Woo! The term cryptid was coined in 1983 by cryptozoologist J.E. Wall in the International Society of Cryptozoology newsletter. Sign me up. According to Wall, quote, It has been suggested that new terms be coined to replace sensational and often misleading terms like monster. My suggestion is cryptid, meaning a living thing having the quality of being hidden or unknown. It sounds like a made-up word. It's describing potentially made-up creatures. I'm, I accept this. I used to love, I think it was like history or discovery. They had a show that was about hunting monsters, like hunting cryptids. Like it was a cryptozoology show and they would every episode try to go out and find Bigfoot or Loch Ness or other creatures. And like they never did, but I watched every episode as if they were. I remember you telling me about those episodes in detail. There was also some documentary about how they found the Loch Ness Monster, and at one point they were talking about mermaids. It's a very interesting area. I didn't know that I was interested in cryptids because I thought I was just interested in monsters and just never cared to look into the word. And when I found out, I was like, no, not cryptids, not me. I love a good cryptid story. (laughs) Yeah. It's good because it has the same energy as... The spooky tales of old of all the monsters, it's just a lot of them are from the Americas, so we call them cryptids. I also, though, then get that existential crisis of, well, you know, what about the real animals that people thought were cryptids and then became real? Or what if we're cryptids to other beings in the universe and I just spiral and suddenly I'm a cryptid and it's over? Ooh, I love that. I love us being cryptids. I love that the giant squid was a cryptid until we found it. That's pretty cool. The deep, deep ocean is frankly horrifying. I would mess with anything in space before I even go near the deep ocean. I would mess with anything full stop before I go near the deep ocean. Yeah. It is terrifying down there. It Creatures just eat bacteria out of hot things. They have coelacanths and... Others, anglerfish, it's just, it's, everything there has, their eyes are too small and their teeth are too big. Also, a lot of those creatures are just flat out too small and can do way too much damage. I have a memory, I don't remember where we were, but we were snorkeling, my mom and I, and I'm very, very bad at floating in the water. I don't know how. So I always have one of those little <laughs> vests that you can inflate and deflate to enjoy your snorkeling experience. And my mom and I were in the beautiful little shallow area and then all of a sudden came up to a sheer drop-off where you could see nothing oh my but God. ocean. I was 
terrified. I did this little scurry swim back so fast. I was like, this is the end of me. I can see my end. Meanwhile, I went snorkeling as a kid and two things. One, my ocean-loving mother would not tolerate me not being able to float. So anytime I ever was in a pool for as long as I can remember, she would make me practice like floating on my back, floating on my belly, swimming to her, swimming away. So thank you, mom. I'm a pretty decent swimmer now. Two, um, my mother, who is more adventurous than the rest of my entire family combined, when we went snorkeling, saw something like that and took a deep breath, held it, and dove down on to explore. Cool. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> She's extremely adventurous. It's so fun traveling with her um, because she gets my, – my mother gets me to do things that I would not normally do. She's a – She's a badass. She's so cool. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Mom. We love you. (laughs) We do. (laughs) One of my most shameful memories is actually about swimming. I used to go to Girl Scout camp, and the first, you have to do a swim test, you know, Mm -hmm. to determine what part of the pool you get to be in. And they give you swim caps. What? With the color. And the first year, I got a green, and I could be wherever I wanted in the pool. And then the next year... Somehow I got a red swim cap, which meant I could only be in the part of the water where you could also stand. What? (laughs) I grew up with a pond in my yard. I can swim. I don't know. And I, that summer, was like, I don't even like the pool. Oh, my God. (laughs) would not go. The only memory I have of a swim test was the one time I went to sleepaway camp and you had to do the swim test. And I just dove into the pool like I do like I just <laughs> dove in swam to one end swam to the back like the swam back and they're like you weren't supposed to dive in but like also you just swam the whole pool which you were only supposed to go from one side to the other of the <laughs> narrow part so like yeah you're fine <laughs> and I was like eight do you remember the time you almost had to give me the Heimlich when we went with your family to the pool yeah because you ate a mozzarella stick <laughs> near a pool so it was almost a pool-based accident <laughs> i think about that every time i eat mozzarella sticks i think about that every time you eat mozzarella sticks <laughs> <laughs> you were the one who almost choked i don't it. eat mozzarella sticks anymore oh, i don't fair. eat mozzarella actually truly i haven't had a mozzarella stick since that incident basically tracy's parents took us to the pool it was one of those lovely swim club ymca type places where you could order little bits Mm -hmm. and bobs out to wherever you were um like get hot dogs and stuff i got mozzarella sticks i started eating the mozzarella stick and the cheese got stuck inside my throat and i started choking and i was like 12 and was like obviously i know what to do and like stood up (laughs) and then you were fine and you're like did you just were you just about to give me the Heimlich maneuver? <laughs> I had to pull the mozzarella out of my mouth in reverse, which was yeah. awful. And I also cried a little bit and didn't yeah. want anyone to know. <laughs> 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 Things are almost saving my life. Anytime. <laughs> I would swim into the deep ocean for you. <sighs> That's a bold statement. I know, even saying it made my stomach drop, but it's fact. <laughs> You know how much I love you? I would never ask you to swim into the deep ocean for me. Right, but you don't have to ask. They taught you that lesson in Rugrats, Tracy. Like, you just... That's what friendship is. <laughs> I would specifically ask that you don't do it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if yeah. I ever ended up in the deep ocean, something went horribly wrong. 
it's already gone too far. Right. But if spooky, deep sea, fleshy, scary mermaids are getting you, I would still have to jump in. Yeah, I know. I'd have to for you, too. We'd both do it and be mad about it the whole time. Oh, you'd be punished when you when I saved you. I'd be <laughs> mad at you. <laughs> we wouldn't talk, but I would have saved you. Fair. That's fair. Friendship over, but you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you saved my life, your friendship couldn't end. Well, no, you can't get rid of me at this point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so I think it's time. Yeah, tell me tell me about your cryptid. Let's let's actually talk about this. Okay. So as someone who has a lot of extended family in New Jersey. You're straight up from Jersey. It's canon. No one can tell me otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I was born in New Jersey. I know. <laughs> I was born in New Jersey. My extended family's there. My parents were born and raised there. I frequent the state often. Um, so I decided to do the Jersey Devil this week. I'm so glad you're doing this. I couldn't have done it. And Well, yeah, and, and I, I did my classic move of panicking. Um, so I was like, I'm going to do the Jersey Devil. And then I sat down to research and panicked and was like, or something else. So I asked the patrons in our mythic Discord channel to vote on their favorite cryptid. I felt that you were trying to get out of it. And the whole Discord channel came through basically saying, no, your homework is the Jersey Devil. <laughs> yeah. I put three different ones. And it was kind of close between two of them. But they voted for the Jersey Devil. So thank you to all of our listeners for helping me know that I made the right choice the first time around. The the mythic patrons definitely came through this episode for more than a few reasons. Well, the thing is, what they all wanted was what, what Rowan's doing. Um, so that was taken. So then I had to figure out what I was going to do. <laughs> you get the You get the extra cool one this week. But for me... Uh, before I dive into any actual facts or history, I want to tell you the version of the Jersey Devil story that I heard growing up. There are tons of versions and they're all super different, but I just thought it'd be fun to share it with you guys the way that I always heard it as a kid. Mm -hmm. So here we go. It was a stormy night in 1735 in southern New Jersey when the air seemed to know that something sinister was coming into the world. It was colder than usual for this time of year, and something bitter floated on the wind. This was in the Pine Barrens, a rough area of land where little grew besides the large cedar trees that seemed to spring right out of the swamps themselves. The air was normally cool, still, and heavy with something unspoken. But not this night. On this night, the wind howled in protest as Mother Leeds screamed in labor. Rain brutally battered the windows of the small cottage in which she lived with her husband and their twelve other children. This was her thirteenth child. The thirteenth life that she would bring into this world. But it would be unlike any of her other children. Her husband was a lazy man. Sometimes cruel and often drunk, he did little to provide for the family ever since they settled in this place. When his wife found out she was carrying the couple's 13th child, she let out a curse without even thinking. 
She cursed this child to be the devil himself for daring to come into the world. She and her husband would regret those words for as long as they both lived. Candles flickered as the drafty house succumbed to the rough winds as Mother Leeds delivered her thirteenth child into the world. Some say it was born perfectly healthy, a beautiful baby in all regards. Others say it was born hideously deformed, and some claim that it was both, that the child was born normal, but quickly began to change. Before the eyes of the horrified family, the child began to morph into something inhuman. Its neck began to elongate, growing and stretching until it was longer than the child itself. Dark, leathery wings sprouted gruesomely out of the child's back, stretching out as if to test the limits of their reach. The child's eyes, at first shut, opened to reveal red irises nearly glowing in the dim light. Its face stretched and morphed into that resembling a horse. Long legs stretched out, bending and twisting in an inhuman manner until they ended in hooves. Stunned, the family could only stare as the creature writhed and groaned and transformed before their very eyes. Before they could even react to the creature that was once their babe, it rushed past them up the chimney and out into the stormy night. Some say it killed its mother that night, just after birth. Others say that it came back for her as revenge for cursing its very existence. Either way, Mother Leeds did not live long after the birth of her devil child. The Leeds devil, later known as the Jersey devil, would go on to cause widespread crop failure. It would hunt livestock, boil streams, destroy trees, and cause cows to stop giving milk. Others say that the devil is an omen, a warning of a war to come. Regardless of what a sighting of the devil means, nothing will stop this creature once you see it. No weapon known to man will harm or even slow it down when it is determined. Guns have been fired upon it with not even a single scratch. Once, it is said that a cannon was blasted straight onto the creature and it walked away as though unaffected. But, a sighting of the Jersey Devil is not always fatal. Many have claimed to see the creature and remain unharmed. They describe seeing a tall, leathery creature with bat-like wings, the face of a horse with spiraling horns and long, bending legs that end in hooves, small, scrawny arms and a long, pointed tail. Sometimes it stands menacingly in the distance. Other times, it's reported to be seen flying past the trees. But it is always found near the Pine Barrens in southern New Jersey. You can recognize it by its unearthly scream that wails through the air. Campers in the Pine Barrens know to flee when they hear that ungodly sound echoing through the branches of the trees. To this day, many claim the air in that part of the state is filled with the presence of something other lingering on the wind. And that's the story of the Jersey Devil that I was told growing up. I didn't know a single thing about the Jersey Devil besides its name, I will confess, and I thought it was some kind of dog. No, no, it is, 
an almost comical amalgamation of creatures. So it's a horse head, teeny tiny little T-Rex arms, bat wings, goat slash deer legs with hooves, and it's like a super long giraffe neck. Does it have cloven hooves? It depends on the tail. Yeah, some say cloven, some say no. I think there's an article from the 1900s that show cloven hooves walking through the snow and people are like, it's the Jersey Devil. Or so many other animals. Um, okay, that's, that's frankly a little scary. The second something scurries or flies quickly or does anything like yeah. that, no. Yeah, it's very much uh, stalking you through the night. I'm making hand gestures that the listeners can't can't. She's making great full body stalking gestures and Lola is perched behind her, happy as a clam. It's a wonderful image. That's true. She's passed out on the couch behind me, utterly unfazed by the fact that I just told a story about the Jersey Devil. That is not a dog. Okay, I I need to know more. (laughs) Okay, so another possible origin for the story is that a young girl fell in love with a British soldier and conceived a child, but given that this was the early to mid 1700s, mm-hmm. uh, their love was considered treason, and the townsfolk cursed the girl, leading her to give birth to a devil child. Ooh, I like that version. Yeah, that's definitely a really cool version, but I will say, like, it's pretty synonymous when you think of the Jersey Devil to think of the Leeds family or Mother Leeds. So that's why I went with that one, because that's just far and away the most popular version but i i thought it was cool the idea of townsfolk cursing a treasonous love affair yeah group witchcraft they all got together and were saying you can't love him spooky devil time spooky devil time (laughs) (laughs) so the frightening reputation of the pine barrens may indeed have contributed to the jersey devil legend Historically, the Pine Barrens were considered inhospitable land, and gangs of highwaymen, such as the politically disdained Loyalist brigands, known as the Pine Robbers, were known to rob and attack travelers passing through the Barrens. So-called Pineys have sometimes (laughs) fostered certain frightening stories about themselves and the Pine Barrens to discourage outsiders or intruders from entering the Barrens. Where would the Pine Barrens be in relation to something modern that I would know about in Jersey? If you've ever driven through Jersey on your way to the shore, you've driven through the Pine Barrens. Okay. Yeah, I can picture that exactly. I I can imagine that. Yeah. You, if you have driven through Jersey at all, you've most likely, if you've ever been to Southern Jersey driving through the highway, you've you've driven through the Pine Barrens. Like, I've driven through the Pine Barrens countless times in my life. Have you ever seen anything spooky? No, I wish. If I did, it would be the first thing I'd tell you. Hmm. I'm usually, like, half asleep in the car as someone else is driving. I can't stay in the wake. (laughs) I can't stay awake in the car if someone else is driving. It's physically impossible. (laughs) So, you might be asking, was there a real Mother Leeds? Oh, I'm sorry. Tracy, is there a real Mother Leeds? Thank you so much for asking. It's a really great question that sets up my next segment perfectly. So, the Leeds family were real people living in New Jersey in the early 1700s. 
The most likely candidates for the real Leeds family are Deborah and Jaffet Leeds. This is theorized because Jaffet Leeds listed 12 children in his will in 1736, although those children were split between multiple wives that he had over the course of years. So it was a different time period in which many children would unfortunately die and you needed children to support your household because living was very difficult. But could you imagine now the diapers, the college tuition, just the lunchboxes? No, no, I could not. I can't I can't even imagine one child. Just the I mean, I love my nephews. But the best part is that I can give them back, and I'm not paying for their college tuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, so he had 12 children. Um, Brian Regal, a historian of science at Keene University, theorizes that the story of mother leads, rather than being based on a single historical person, originated from colonial southern New Jersey religio-political disputes that became the subject of folklore and gossip among the local population. According to Regal, folk legends concerning these historical disputes evolved through the years and ultimately resulted in the modern, popular legend of the Jersey Devil during the early 20th century. Regal contends that colonial-era political intrigue involving early New Jersey politicians— Benjamin Franklin and Franklin's rival almanac publisher, Daniel Leeds, who was alive from 1651 to 1720, resulted in the Leeds family being described as, quote, monsters. And it was Daniel Leeds' negative description as the Leeds devil, rather than any actual creature, that created the later legend of the Jersey devil. That is so cool. Right? That is Benjamin so Benjamin cool. Franklin trolling the Jersey Devil into existence. Well, you know I love when spooky stories and myths come from trolling. Oh, just wait till I tell you about some even more incredible trolling from Benjamin Franklin a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> it is so good. But next I'm going to tell you about some famous sightings of the Jersey Devil. So it's not just the everyday people in New Jersey who have spotted the Jersey Devil. Prominent citizens, such as governors, policemen, generals, and even celebrities have seen the creature. Famously, Joseph Bonaparte, the brother of Napoleon Bonaparte and former king of Spain, was reported to have seen the devil himself. To quote an article by Atlantic County, The devil's sightings have covered great geographic distances from Bridgeton to Haddonfield in 1859, to the New York border in 1899, from Gloucester City to Trenton in 1909. Until this time, tales of the devil were passed by word of mouth. However, published police and newspaper accounts during a famous week in January of 1909 took the story of the devil from folk belief to authentic folk legend. 30 different sightings in a one-week period told of the devil sailing across the Delaware River to Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Newspaper articles created a near panic in the region. So, sorry, this tiny horse T-Rex with wings hopped on a boat and sailed? You know, or flew. He's got wings. Okay. (laughs) So what's cool about this is it leads me to the infamous 1909 devil scare. 
<laughs> During the week of January 16th through January 23rd, 1909, newspapers published hundreds of claimed encounters with the Jersey Devil from all over the state. Among alleged encounters publicized that week were claims that the creature attacked a trolley car in Haddon Heights and a social club in Camden. Police in Camden and Bristol, Pennsylvania, supposedly fired on the creature to no effect. Okay, I I so badly want the alternate story of a person dressed up as a devil. (laughs) So you're saying you want a fake New Jersey devil to make an appearance? Because I might be able to deliver on that for you. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) All right. So to once again quote the same Atlantic County article, after the 1909 appearances, the scientific community was asked for possible explanations. Reportedly, science professors from Philadelphia and experts from the Smithsonian Institution thought the devil to be a prehistoric creature from the Jurassic period. What? Had the creature survived in nearby limestone caves? Was it a pterodactyl or a plesiosaurus? New York scientists thought it to be a marsupial carnivore. I'm sorry. Was it everyone on acid? (laughs) It was 1909. They barely knew what dinosaurs were. I love that time period when history and pseudoscience and magic were all the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what would stick. So, all right, continuing the quote. However... The Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia could not locate any record of a living or dead species resembling the Jersey Devil. The search was on. Superintendent Robert D. Carson of the Philadelphia Zoo offered a $10,000 reward for the devil's capture. The reward remains uncollected. To this day? To this day. Oh, Tracy, we can get this. Now you get why those people in the shows I watched in middle school are out there hunting. But you don't even need a living Jersey Devil, right? You just need a dead... Yeah, but you can't kill it if a cannon didn't do anything. I'm not saying you can kill it. I'm just saying you can get something that looks like it. Right. So let's talk about that. So newspapers (laughs) at the time were intensely competitive and the journalism standards were loose, to say the least. Some journalists would trade stories for gifts or favors, and anything that would sell was able to be printed. The first article in the Inquirer about the mysterious events appeared on the front page on January 21st with the headline, What is it? Visits all South Jersey. And a photograph of actual hoof prints of the strange creature. Newspapers started printing that the creature had been killed or captured, and animal trainers at the Arch Street Museum in Philadelphia even went so far as to paint a kangaroo green and attach fake wings to it. They attempted to pass this off as the Jersey Devil and created flyers for people to come see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the kind of scary sideshow spooky business I came here for. I yep. feel terrible for the kangaroo, but from a story perspective, fantastic. Yeah, so people took a kangaroo, put wings on it, 
and said Jersey Devil, which of all creatures, it is the closest. I mean, that or the set animal. Yeah, well, the set animal is very different in appearance, but equally questionable in terms of what it could be. So now, for one of my favorite parts of this story that is only even slightly tangentially related, but was way too fun for me not to share. During 1716, Daniel Leeds' son, Titan Leeds, inherited his father's almanac business, which continued to use astrological content and eventually competed with Benjamin Franklin's popular Poor Richard's Almanac. The competition between the two men intensified when, during 1733, Franklin satirically used astrology in his almanac to predict Titan Leeds' death on October of the same year. Though Franklin's prediction was intended as a joke at his competitor's expense and a means to boost almanac sales, Titan Leeds was apparently offended at the death prediction, publishing a public admonition of Franklin as a fool and a liar. In a published response, Franklin mocked Titan Leeds' outrage and humorously suggested that, in fact, Titan Leeds had died in accordance with the earlier prediction and was thus writing his almanacs as a ghost, resurrected from the grave to haunt and torment Franklin. Franklin continued to jokingly refer to Titan Leeds as a ghost, even after Titan Leeds' actual death during 1738. Daniel Leeds' blasphemous and occultist reputation and his pro-monarchy stance in the largely anti-monarchist colonial South Jersey, combined with Benjamin Franklin's later ongoing depiction of Titan Leeds as a ghost, may have originated or at least contributed to the local folk legend of a so-called Leeds devil lurking in the Pine Barrens. If they taught this in school with the American Revolution, I can guarantee people would be more interested. Right? Benjamin Franklin was such a troll and a womanizer and a man who liked to stand naked and call it an air bath. You could either love him and be close friends with him or you had to hate him. I doubt there was anybody who was in the middle with that man. Yeah. So he trolled Titan Leeds from the moment he predicted his death until the man died and afterwards and only referred to him as a ghost from that point on. It's so funny. It's I so I kind of funny. love it. I love it. I heard that story years ago and thought it was the funniest thing. That he would just be like, ah, Titan Leeds ghost is just messing with me, you guys. He's just really, he's, he's just obsessed with haunting me. Please troll me and say that I'm a ghost and convince people that I'm passed away. You guys, I love recording a podcast with a ghost. It's so fun. (laughs) Yes, thank you. That's awesome. I truly had no idea what the Jersey Devil was. Always thought it was a dog. Yeah, not a dog. A horse-headed, bat-winged, goat-legged creature who flies and kills people. But really, he's known for his ungodly scream and... He, he stalks the Pine Barrens, which is a stretch of land in southern New Jersey where it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like this just dark, barren stretch of land where there's only pine trees and swamps. And he's got glowing red eyes. And that's the Jersey Devil. So keep an eye out for him next time you're in southern New Jersey. 
<laughs> You're going to be there before me, so it's your job to find the Jersey Devil. Okay, I'll keep an eye out. I'll keep a look. Uh, I'll keep a weather eye out for the Jersey Devil. Live on the podcast. Find us, the Jersey Devil. Yeah, yeah. I'll bring my equipment and just sit in the Pine Barrens. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people have done that. I think there are YouTube videos of people doing that. Hmm. Fun to do, not necessarily fun to watch. No. I mean, unless you find it. I th- I don't know if she went to the Pine Barrens, but Mikey from Glam and Gore does, um, during Halloween, she goes to the most haunted places in America Ooh. and does full special effects makeup there. So she went to, like, haunted hotels and haunted towns. And I think she did one where she was in the Pine Barrens, but I can't remember. She was in the woods for something. Um, but those are really fun. If you're interested at all in special effects makeup, it's fun to watch those. Does she ever try to convince passersby that she is the haunting? No, except for she did do spooky witch makeup in Salem and then ran around a graveyard. Mm. Um, but no, I think it's it's more about trying to see if she can scare herself because she doesn't scare very easy. And so trying to scare herself by doing makeup in scary places. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So check out Glam and Gore on YouTube. She's extremely popular. She does not need a shout out from us, but we'll hey, put it on the recommendations anyway. Yeah, you can find it on the recommendations page on our website. So if you go to willingandfable.com, we have a recommendations page of pretty much everything that we love. Yeah, we're we're building it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we every time we mention something on the podcast, we try to throw it on the recommendations page. So, that was the Jersey Devil. Now it's time for me to sit back, relax, and listen to you tell me a spooky story. So as Tracy said, I get the privilege of getting to cover the story that everyone on our Discord mentioned. I am covering Mothman as my cryptid for this Halloween season. You guys need to know, we had, I don't even think recorded our first episode yet we were just talking about doing a podcast vaguely throwing out story ideas and rowan called wanting to do mothman i did yeah so i'm really really excited because she's super passionate about doing this story yes for halloween season i'm basically covering a ton of stories that i'm incredibly passionate about which is very stressful and fun. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Mothman is actually a new thing that I'm excited about. I knew a little bit about the legend before, but I actually became much more familiar with Mothman when I had to research this spooky character for one of my weekly Twitch streams, uh, Playtest Pals. That show is currently on hiatus, but I have the amazing job of streaming each week with Sage Ryan and Kaylee Bray, where we playtest indie TTRPGs. Uh, Kaylee and I always end up playing characters that are roommates, and Sage is our fearless GM. (laughs) (laughs) I can confirm these are extremely fun to watch. Um, Even though they air at like 10 o'clock p.m. my time, and I have 8 a.m. meetings every day for work, I still stay up and watch them, and they're so fun. Yeah, and they're part of what makes Tuesdays such a good day. It's podcast release day. It's playtest pals day. It's everything you could ever want. (laughs) So a few (laughs) months ago, Sage selected the game. Ah, dang, Mothman won't move out. He said it was just for the weekend. (laughs) 
this was a week I couldn't watch. I actually was not able to watch this week because I, I saw the name of it, but I had something going on. So I'm really excited to hear about this. Well, Tracy, I think you can watch it on the VOD on Twitch. Um, it is an indie TTRPG by Paul Etten Matajevic. You can find it on itch.io. It will be on our recommendations page. I cannot recommend that game highly enough. It is so fun and has very easy mechanics. So super good for new. And say the name one more time. (laughs) Ah, dang. Mothman won't move out. He said it was just for the weekend. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So now let's talk about this cryptid. Some listeners may be familiar with Mothman from the 2002 film The Mothman Prophecies with the all-star cast of Richard Gere, Laura Linney, and Deborah Messing, or the text that made Mothman one of the most famous cryptids in the world, the 1975 book by John Keel, bearing the same title. The story that inspired these works began on November 12th, 1966. Five men were digging a grave in a cemetery near Clendenin, West Virginia. As they worked, they were surprised and horrified to see a man-like figure flying in the trees just above them. Now I want to record scratch pause for just a second. (laughs) Based on the versions of this story that I've read, I'm imagining it's nighttime. It's November in the Appalachian region, which means it's probably cold. There might even be a little bit of fog or a nice mist rolling in. The leaves have fallen. It smells like spooky autumnal graveyard dirt, which means suddenly we're in the play Hamlet and a monstrous creature is making an appearance while five men dig and speak in verse. You cannot tell me otherwise. No, and I don't want to tell you otherwise. That sounds exactly like what I was imagining, and I love it. (laughs) I was so thrown by this because I didn't even know that non-criminals were allowed to dig graves at night. I feel like that is against all of the rules of cemetery manners, Um, but it's certainly actually not the most unbelievable part of this mythos. (laughs) Oh, all right. Keep going. (laughs) Okay, so Tracy, we're in a Shakespeare play for the first sighting, but for the next one, we're diving into an 80s slasher movie. Think VHS tape that's been rented too many times and doesn't play right. Oh my god, honestly, the only thing that's more exciting. I'm not a big horror movie person, I get spooked easily, but I love a good 80s horror movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or the Scream franchise, which is not an 80s horror movie, but is playing on tropes from yeah i just love i love a horror movie that is so over the top you can like laugh at it like give me hellraiser love it where you're just (laughs) like laughing at it but it's still really cool and fun and interesting so that's where i'm at in terms of horror movies spooky i live with someone who watches every single horror movie he can possibly get his hands on um so I get made fun of for the fact that I can barely tolerate anything. You are a wee baby. I was too... I'm a wee baby. I I got scared by the witch. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It was too... The the psychological pressure of that film. Couldn't do it. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I might be in the middle 
Well, I'm more toward Tim's side of the middle. You are, and that's great. I wish I liked horror movies more. Like, I was super stressed watching Us. Is that the... Oh, yeah. That, like, that, that one was, was but like... That was also kind of a thriller, and thrillers are supposed to be stressful. And I just don't... I have no interest in stressful psychological movies. You don't have to like what you don't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I distracted you. We're in the 80s. We're thinking of a slasher movie, VHS ta- tape... Take me forward. Yeah, that's our genre. Okay, so three days later after this first sighting, on November 15th, 1966, two young couples from Point Pleasant are seated in a car together, parked in a part of the surrounding countryside known as the TNT area. It's the site of a former World War II munitions plant. Oh, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Suddenly... In the darkness, a creature, at least six or seven feet tall, appears before their windshield. As they reported to the police and the local paper, the Point Pleasant Register, they saw a, quote, large flying man with 10-foot wings whose eyes, quote, glowed red in their headlights. They drove away exceeding speeds of 100 miles per hour on the empty roads, and the beast kept pace easily. But when they made it to the outskirts of town, the monster scurried away into a field and vanished. Could you imagine? Like, like that thing just right up there with your car chasing you. Oh, that's so I'm so much more cool with that than it scurrying away into a field and vanishing. I don't like any of it. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm sitting here with my face in my hands like, ooh. (laughs) So far, also, we're two for two with uh, wings and glowing red eyes. Oh, yeah. I think probably red eyes are a part of being encrypted in many. I'm pretty sure Bigfoot doesn't have red eyes. You don't know that, Tracy. You've never seen Bigfoot. That is true. So going back to this story, I have a couple questions. Were the two young couples parked at what I can only imagine was their makeout point of choice? I don't actually know, but that is how I picture the story because the other alternatives is that they were drinking or smoking or having a lively debate about the eventual crumbling of our planet's ecosystem. I don't know. I don't want to delegitimize the story for anyone. So let's say they were kissing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Listen, I like the details. The devil's in the details. Okay. Ooh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look at her go. Mm. The following day, November 16th, Point Pleasant would hold a press conference to discuss the sightings. Here, reporters would name the creature Mothman as a reference to the Batman character so popular in comics and TV at the time. How did I not know that I did he not was know called that Mothman as a play on Batman? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. That is so cool. It's a bummer because he's like not like a superhero. Like that would be nice. Oh, just you wait. <gasps> okay. So this press conference didn't wrap the story up in a bow because we're still going to stay in the 80s slasher genre of this story. In the three days following the first incidents, the Gettysburg Times reported eight more cases, including two volunteer firemen who said they saw, quote, 
a very large bird with red eyes. In the following months, as sightings continued, one woman, whose family lived near the abandoned TNT plant, reported seeing red lights she could not identify flying over the plant itself. She later encountered a figure outside her home that followed her up to her porch but disappeared before the cops could arrive. She would hear a sound, which she described to be like a woman keening outside her home for some months. See, what freaks me out about that is it seems like it's intelligent enough to be like, I'm going to wait here and then go away when the cops arrive. Like, following you onto your porch? No. Ugh. Oh, oh, God. And just the, the keening sound for months afterwards, just wondering when it will end. Okay, I took this out of the story, but I'm going to tell you now because I can't resist. When she went outside, the Mothman creature was laying down near her car and stood up when she came near it and then followed her to her porch. What, what am I supposed to do with that information? That's going to live with me for the rest of my life. That's gonna just that's just gonna sit in my noggin forever. That's just gonna be there. That's just gonna live inside my brain. Oh. And I'm gonna know that forever. I was reading that really late at night and I had to stop for a minute. And I'm down yeah. for spooky things, but I had to stop for a second. <laughs> As the sightings mounted, the monster's description became more and more detailed, though it was Always seemingly bipedal and humanoid, its coloring ranged from black to brown to gray. It was always massive, but some say it had no head, while others believed its form to be very human. No matter what, it always appeared with massive, reflective red eyes. Despite its moth name, the wings were not crystalline or bug-like in any way, It was rarely seen flapping, except for takeoff, when it appeared to shoot directly into the air, quote, straight up like a helicopter. (laughs) Okay, now I'm imagining it taking its wings and spinning them in circles like a helicopter, just like, straight up. That's a much more pleasant image. (laughs) Balance your fear here. I'm just going to keep going back and forth. (laughs) Thank you. Just over a year after the first encounter, on December 15, 1967, the 700-foot bridge that connected Point Pleasant and Ohio collapsed during rush hour, plunging dozens of people into the freezing water below. Forty-six souls lost their lives in the Silver Bridge tragedy. It was later attributed to a faulty eye-bar suspension chain, poor maintenance, and a bridge that was built during a time when cars were much lighter. This disaster would mark what many people believed to be the Mothman's purpose for appearing in Point Pleasant. Some say he appeared at the location of the disaster, and many noted that sightings of him seemed to end completely after that landmark day. For the most part, he is credited for trying to warn residents or being a neutral party brought to the area by the looming accident. Either way, this reputation of appearing at disaster sites would carry forward through the decades. Okay, so now I see why he could be something like a superhero, except more just like an ominous omen, which is another connection 
to the Jersey Devil, some theories are that he is an omen for bad things to come. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's almost spookier that the Mothman isn't making bad things happen. He's just present or warning you. That's very... Well, because it takes away eerie. all the control. If he's making the bad things happen, it's like, if I stop him, the bad things stop. If he's just an omen, you lose all control over stopping the bad things. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten to the superhero part yet, though, so... Ooh, okay. All right, I'm going to sit quiet and keep listening. Before we leave Point Pleasant, I want to circle back to the TNT area, also known as Old West Virginia Ordnance Works. I'm going to quote fandom.com. West Virginia Ordnance Works is an abandoned munitions to the north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that dates back to World War II. The facility, during its operation, manufactured ammunition and dynamite. The surrounding area is mostly forest, dotted with numerous grassy clearings and thick concrete domes called igloos that were used to store barrels of gunpowder. The area is also riddled with abandoned tunnels, most of which have collapsed, been sealed off, or become flooded with water. A wildlife sanctuary... McClintic Wildlife Management now encompasses the area. In 1979, fishermen in the TNT area reported that chemicals had been left to seep into the ponds, causing it to be labeled an environmental disaster. By the year 1983, the TNT area was among the country's most polluted sites. End quote. Many people speculate that those chemicals with a possible animal mutation, are the reason there is a Mothman. Classic superhero origin. We are we are on the right track for that. Listen, we've got spooky graveyards. We've got a makeout point. We have potential toxic waste monsters. We are in an episode of Scooby-Doo right now. What more could you ask for, Tracy? Oh my God, you're totally right. <laughs> we just need a really cool Great Dane. And then we're set. Actually, I'm going to need you to request aliens. All we need is aliens, and then we're set. Tracy, aliens, you say? I did. Buckle your seatbelt. Okay. In 2018, (laughs) there was a Vice article written by Josh Terry describing a large number of Mothman sightings in Chicago one year previous. This cryptid's pop culture popularity has certainly made far-flung sightings popular, but with 55 Chicago-area reports from that time, it's definitely noteworthy. So let me introduce you to Lon Strickler. He describes himself as a Fortean researcher, Fortean meaning relating to paranormal phenomenon. He wrote the book, Mothman Dynasty, Chicago's Winged Humanoids. You know what, actually? He wrote the book Mothman Dynasty, Chicago's Winged Humanoids. I like that. Uh, He also (laughs) runs the website Phantoms and Monsters. Okay. You'll find a link in the show notes. But I want to let you know, (laughs) I visited the website, and it was, I kid you not, a black background with lime green accents there is a total page views counter on the right hand toolbar and if you scroll 
all the way down. I mean, scroll and scroll and scroll forever. All the way at the bottom, you will find a buckaroo bonsai quote. If I described that in a story to you, you wouldn't believe me because it is so quintessentially a paranormal blog. I mean, you've done it. You found the perfect paranormal blog. <laughs> you, I mean, you've, you found the holy grail of paranormal blogs that is still alive and on the internet today. Truly, you're the Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's so our Y2K episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it truly is, though. <laughs> I didn't believe it when people told me these corners of the internet still existed. They still exist, man. They still exist. They were, they were born in 1997, and damn it, they're going to live and die in 1997. Well... My friends, you better visit it and raise that page view counter. <laughs> All right, so back to the story. Strickler, who has investigated paranormal sightings since the 1970s and claims to have personally seen both Mothman and Bigfoot, said of this Chicago uptick, quote, This group of sightings is historical in cryptozoology terms. For one, it's happening in an urban area for the most part, and that there are so many sightings in one period. The 2018 Vice article goes further to say that, quote, Strickler added that he believes there are at least three flying humanoids around Chicago due to the varied locations, the concentration of sightings in certain neighborhoods, and the small differences in eyewitness testimonies. Strickler describes the temperament of these new creatures by adding, these beings are less aggressive than the one in Point Pleasant for the most part. I believe overall there was only one being in Point Pleasant area that was seen during that period. So there's now multiple Mothmen, possibly mm, the Mothman babies? <laughs> moth babies moth babies moth minis moth Mini munchkins moths. i did it moth munchkins <laughs> y'all she's crushing it today all right so we saw the moth man now we're on the the moth munchkins of chicago years and years later yes in 2017 okay, okay. <laughs> however to offer a counterpoint dr david a gallo is a psychologist who researches memory at the University of Chicago. He said this in rebuttal. Quote, It's a selective sample. When people are choosing to report sightings, the basis of data upon which your paranormal researchers are collecting is all self-report. He's not sampling random people and asking if they saw the Mothman. He's just counting the number of people that voluntarily came forward to report a sighting. For the record... Gallo is a self-professed fan of the Mothman prophecies. I mean, he's not wrong. It's not like... Yeah, it's not great science. No, but, but it's Mothman. Right. <laughs> Other noteworthy non-Point Pleasant sightings are the 1986 Russian Chernobyl disaster, the okay. 1999 Russian apartment bombings, the collapse yeah. of the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, and many, many more. 
So is it a, a kind of through line with him that he is an omen for disaster to come? Super yes. Okay. I would I would say safely, if there's a major disaster, there is at least one person somewhere on this earth who is attributing it to Mothman. Okay. Or, or at, at least saying Mothman, Mothman was there. To, yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so now I want to talk about the possible explanations for Mothman that aren't a Mothman. You mean like man plus moth? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There is the suggestion that there is no cryptid known as the Mothman. In fact, the Mothman is actually a different cryptid known as Owlman, which is the owl version of this giant creature of myth first sighted in Cornwall, England in 1976 after the first Mothman sightings. And to this I say, hey, England, your owl is probably our moth and you cannot colonize our cryptid. Back off. Yeah, I mean, why? What? Yeah, don't. It, it, oh, okay, sorry. So it's, it's, they're saying, oh, it's not Mothman, it's Owlman who came second and is from England and also isn't any more real. So, like, why can't (laughs) – like, why does it have to be like, well, this one's real, so yours is actually this. Except this one is – ours isn't real. We're just English, so. Sometimes when the English and the Americans get together, a devil is born. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, fair. All right, right, (laughs) go on. Speaking of colonization, some have put forth that the Mothman is actually a Thunderbird – These are legendary creatures of incredible strength and supernatural power that appear in the stories of some indigenous peoples across North America. There's also the possibility that our monster is a simple, run-of-the-mill, regular bird. Due to its, quote, bird-like description and specifically red eyes, Dr. Robert L. Smith of West Virginia University believes that locals were sighting a large sandhill crane. A brownish, grayish, whitish, big old bird with a 10-foot wingspan that most notably has large red markings around its eyes. These creatures aren't native to the state of West Virginia, but as the host from Storied, a mystery web series by PBS noted, between January 2017 and August 2019, 28 sandhill cranes were spotted in and around Point Pleasant, West Virginia area. That's not a huge number of crane sightings, but it would be a very large number of Mothman sightings. I want to look up what this crane looks like. Ten-foot wingspan? Quite pretty, this bird. Also quite demonic looking. Except there's this one picture on Google of this sandhill crane kind of escorting two little baby cranes down the lane, and it's to die for. That sounds incredible. I love that. I love that so much. I'm just trying to... Birds are just... some, Some birds just... You can tell they're they're from dinosaurs, you know? Like, there's some just, there's some birds that it's like, there's something blank in your eyes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the other option is that Mothman is just a regular owl. And as someone who grew up in the woods and has startled and then consequently been startled by some big, spooky owls, Trees, you are so right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm team spooky birds. That's what I'm team. <laughs> 
okay, we'll go with that. I'm not even saying that, that spooky birds as an explanation for Mothman. I'm just team spooky birds. 10 out of 10. Would spook again. All right, go on. So sometimes Mothman incidents, I imagine not unlike Jersey Devil incidents, are ascribed to mass hysteria. Absolutely. To quote Medical News Today, specialists who have taken an interest in this phenomenon say it is a type of psychogenic illness, that is, a condition that begins in the mind rather than in the body. Physiological symptoms, however, are often not illusory but very much real. It is also described as a conversion disorder, in which a person has physiological symptoms affecting the nervous system in the absence of a physical cause of illness and which may appear in reactions to psychological distress. The long and short of that is that... Tracy, take it away. (laughs) There are so many interesting cases of psychogenic illnesses where basically your mind can get so stressed or freaked out that it produces physical symptoms or you can have mass psychogenic illnesses such as the dancing plague that happened in Ah! mm -hmm, Ah! in the medieval i think it was the 1400s in france um i fell down that rabbit hole oh yeah and then there was this the story of the boarding school of young girls who all like started laughing until they nearly died and had to be sent home what? Because, like, one girl started laughing, and then the laughter spread. And they, for days and weeks on end, I mean, I don't have the details in front of me, but. Well, psychogenic illnesses are definitely an episode we should do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and that, and it extends to, like, in my, in our episode on fear of women, where I talked about Mary Tudor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her false pregnancy. That was, you know, it started in her mind where she believed wanted to be and believed so much that she was pregnant that her body showed physical symptoms of carrying a child when she really hadn't conceived a child at all. So I find this whole series of illnesses just so interesting. Yeah, the human brain is pretty bananas. I don't know what to say more than that. We're all nuts. Oh, yeah. The brain is scary powerful in good and bad ways. Like, it it can just, man, just one wrong synapse firing, and you're just messed up for a bit in the head. But also, the fact that we even have brains is fascinating. All right, anyway, not the time to have that deep dive of a conversation, but love that you brought up the idea that it's like a mass psychogenic, you know, a mass hysteria, that it's everyone is seeing everyone else, because humans are huge on mirroring. Again, I won't dive too deep into it, but we have this thing called mirror neurons. It's how we learn as children. So when I watch you do something, my mirror neurons fire, and that's why kids mimic you. It's them actively learning based on their mirror neurons. So we want, we're social creatures, and we learn from each other. So when you're seeing someone claim to see the Mothman, you want to be in that group. So you want to see it too, and then it just spirals. I'm glad you brought that up because... I thought about that a lot after the Silver Bridge incident. It makes sense that people would stop seeing the Mothman after that because there is something so real and horrifying happening to the town collectively mm-hmm. that it kind of pulls everyone out of that potential mass hysteria of Mothman. Mm-hmm. It's a possibility. Another possibility going in the completely opposite direction. 
As there always is with cryptids, some people have said it could be related to UFOs, men in black, or other alien involvement. Or there's also angels or demons. Would it really be a cryptid if someone wasn't associating it with heaven or hell? Nope. (laughs) Point Pleasant, West Virginia hosts a yearly Mothman Festival on the third weekend of September every year except 2020. Oh, 2020 taking away another good thing in this world. That sounds amazing. It began in 2002 and it draws an average of 10 to 12,000 visitors per year. According to Wikipedia, attendees will get to see, quote, guest speakers, vendor exhibits, pancake eating contests, and hayride tours of locally notable areas. Signing me up for every single one of those things. Exactly. It sounds so fun. That sounds amazing. As of 2003, thanks to the artist Bob Roach, tourists can also visit Point Pleasant's 12-foot-tall metallic Mothman sculpture, complete with red eyes. In June of this year, of this year, a petition was started to replace all Confederate statues in the United States with statues of Mothman. By July, <laughs> the petition had over 2,000, 2000 signatures. I haven't tracked down the petition myself, but frankly, I fully support Mothman over Confederates. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Oh, move all of the Confederate statues into the uh, museums and have an actual realistic historical education about what happened during that entire time period. And then when you've moved them away, um, put Mothman there. That's a world I want to live in. (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mothman, Mothman, many Mothmen. Mothman and Moth Munchkins. (laughs) Everyone else who's good and wholesome. All right. So... If you ever make it for the festival, you can also visit the Mothman Museum and Research Center. There's a great story called Dispatches from the Road on the Trail of the Mothman by Ryan Abbott writing for Courthouse News Service. In the article, Abbott says for $3, he was able to see items used on the movie set, numerous newspaper clippings, and a hunk of driftwood labeled driftwood shaped like a bird. The gift shop had Mothman brand hot sauce and Yum. plush Mothman dolls. I want one. And when you're finished there, he suggests visiting the Mothman Diner where you can get a Mothman burger and fries. There's also a Mothman app for both iOS and Android, advertised on the Mothman Festival website. It seems to have been designed to help anyone visiting Point Pleasant to get the most of their Mothman adventure. Mothman. Mothman. My other favorite one is when they take the young man from the YMCA. Mothman. Instead of young man. I'm not going to sing the whole song. It's very good. I'm having mass hysteria of laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) 
that whole thing reminds me of Salem and Rockwell and all the other lovely places in the world where entire towns are funded by spook-centric tourist industries. Uh, Since spooky capitalism is the best kind of capitalism, uh, and I would absolutely visit uh, in the future should the opportunity present itself, Tracy, please take me to Point Pleasant, Virginia for the festival. It's, like, not even that far away. Like, let's do it. Like, let's... We can stay at, like, a cute, like, Airbnb <gasps> or, like, a real B&B and, like, go to the festival and eat eat diner food and oh my God. pancakes. And I want so many plush Mothman. Oh, we're going. There's also Mothman hoodies, Tracy. Oh, I love a good hoodie. I love sweatshirts. I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says board games on it right now. It just says board games? It just says board games. That's it. <laughs> Oh, what are we doing with our whole lives? Okay. I have a random Mothman tie-in. Okay. Donald Trump had a tweet related to Mothman, which, frankly, was covered in the news with more frequency than so many issues that are more important to what's happening than on this president's Twitter. However, Trump quoted, or pardon me, Trump quote tweeted, can you tell I don't really Twitter? Trump quote tweeted Democratic Senator Joe Manchin saying, I go along with Joe. Manchin's tweet was a photograph of himself in front of the Mothman statue. And he said, wishing everyone in Mason County a happy Mothman festival today. (sighs) I should not speculate as to why on earth Trump chose that tweet to quote tweet as it is about a cryptid i do my best to try not to get inside that man's head right it's just a healthier place for me to be (laughs) so i have no idea why he would tweet that insider says that it quote may have been more of a nod to mansion a democrat continuing to support coal production and mining jobs for his Appalachian constituency. Cool. That's nice. Okay, a bit of information to lift your spirits pun so fully intended. The (laughs) Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company has an IPA called Mothman Black that is a, quote, darkly delicious black IPA with a balanced blend of roasted malts and citrusy hops to enjoy on moonlit nights. You can sip that lovely beer while searching for Mothman's appearance in Fallout 76 because we're still in a pandemic, so stay safe, spooky, and sanitized this Halloween. <laughs> the Willing and Fable Podcast. Stay safe, spooky, and sanitized. I love that as a slogan for us. I love that for us. I love that for us. I just am really loving that for us. For me and for my friends, I'm loving that. <laughs> So, (laughs) for the Playtest Pals game that I mentioned earlier, my character was a woke skater bro named Daniel who dressed as his idol Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a spontaneous Midsummer Halloween in-game. And that hurts so much right now. (laughs) Daniel lived with his platonic life partner, Kristen, 
in a spooky cottagecore house in Point Pleasant, Virginia, with their close friend Mothman, living a reasonably normal life in secret just down the road. Because I love these characters, and it just fits spooky season so well, I had to write a story with them in it this week. I love this because I didn't get to watch the episode too, so it'll be ex- it'll be extra fun for me. I will apologize for nothing, <laughs> nor have you anything to apologize for. Alrighty. The following is a series of cut together recordings left on the Point Pleasant Register voicemail. Um, hey, uh, I'm Daniel. Uh, I've lived in Point Pleasant for my whole life, except college. Uh, my platonic life partner, Kristen, uh, she bakes those epic cupcakes for the festival every year, the ones that raise so much money for the animal shelter. Uh, anyway, we used to get your paper delivered before everything switched to digital. Uh, that's why I wanted to call in to set the record straight about Mothman. I know, I know, that's like the most unoriginal thing to ever mention in Point Pleasant, but just like, hear me out because my perspective is really valid and I don't think a lot of people are looking at this situation as being sharing this planet with all creatures. So, I grew up with Mothman. And I don't mean grew up with the stories of Mothman, I mean, I did. But I grew up with literal Mothman. He's my dude. He's my roommate. I knew him when he didn't even know how to use the oven yet. And it's honestly such a gift to have gotten to know him as a man and not just a moth man. So first off, I think it's pretty sexist that you all decided Mothman is a dude. My dude is a dude, but your Mothman, the one those gravediggers and teens and everyone saw, was a moth mom. She, her pronouns are also applicable to the cryptid community, and I think it's such crap that we all just assume the first one we see is male, and then maybe that male gets a female because we just force heterosexuality on them. Like, for the record, I knew a family of Bigfoots that had two lady moms, and there's definitely a ton of ways to have a family in the cryptid community. But back to Moth Mom. She and Moth Dad and my Moth Dude had just moved into Point Pleasant and they weren't the best at blending in yet. Even the most basic glamour takes years of witchcraft study so you can understand the problems they faced. But Moth Mom is super caring and she just wanted to check out the area to make sure it was safe for her family. And she did it at night so people wouldn't freak out. She straight up ran into those gravediggers because she thought they were grave robbers. And she's a mom. Of course she busted up that makeout point stuff. You can't just be pulling your shenanigans and get caught by someone's mom and say to the newspaper that you were afraid for your life because you were going to get grounded. You drove over 100 miles per hour, dude. You're lucky she followed you back to make sure you were okay. <sighs> now. We gotta talk about that horrible Silver Bridge disaster. First of all, our local moth family had nothing to do with not maintaining critical local infrastructure. That was a horrible tragedy, and I don't think it's cool to try to blame it on some being that you don't understand just because you're scared. Some people 
definitely did see Moth Dad that day. He also has to commute to his job because, like, capitalism and cryptozoology are not mutually exclusive. When the bridge collapsed, he tried to help do some good, rescue some people, but being a very large flying creature is distracting, so he had to bail so that all those rescue workers could save lives. After that day, the family really tried to lay low since Point Pleasant was going through so much, and they didn't want to scare anyone when the whole town was so sad, you know? Super considerate. Obviously, I wasn't born yet. Moth folks mature at a way slower rate, so my dude was a kid for a minute. Okay, so. After that, I don't really know who cited who when, but I just want to add, they never stole that dude's dog. Like, I won't speak for the whole paranormal creature community, but the Moth fam has always had at least one or two cats for as long as I've known them, and they love those little fluff balls so much. Right now, they have two black cats because, like, black cats are less likely to get adopted, which is so thoughtful of them. Kristen helped match the family with the kittens because, like, she works at the shelter. Anyway, the cats' names are Strickler and Keel because, like, how sick nasty is it to name your pets after the bros who wrote books about you? Anyway, I don't want to take up too much of your day. And thank you so much for listening to this. Super cool. I just want to update you on a few things because I think it will make some people who are scared feel like way chiller. First off, Moth Mom and Moth Dad moved away. They lived for so long, you know, so they had to like mix it up a little. Obviously, there's more than one Moth family, so it's totally possible some of the other sightings around the world are other Moth people. There's also a super cool crew of moth dudes in Chicago, and they host the best movie night, so, like, check that out if you're ever in the neighborhood. Mothman, my moth bro, still lives in town. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you where, so just, like, chill. But they all come into town for the festival every year, like, the whole family. It really makes them feel so good. You have no idea, like... How cool is it for them to be able to just walk around as themselves for the weekend without anyone spazzing out because there are so many people in costumes? So keep an eye out, I guess. Oh, and y'all better watch out because Mothman and I are going to dust you all at this year's pancake eating contest. We are practicing. Uh, so... Cool, yeah, um... Take care of yourself, a uh, reporter person, and uh, like, happy Halloween. I don't want to be dramatic or anything, <laughs> but I would die for Daniel and Moth Mom, Moth Dad, and Moth Bro. <laughs> Mothman, my moth dude. Mothman, so my moth dude, I had to mute myself during that recording because I was laughing so hard. Oh my god, that was so I oh, I love that so much. Moth dude and moth bro and to the way you twisted the story so that I got the superhero that I wanted because moth dad <laughs> is the real hero trying to save people. Oh my god, I love love that story. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> 
yeah. Well, okay. So full credit to Sage and Kaylee who played that game with me and created the world that that gets to live in. Um, Sage made it canon that Mothman collects beanie babies that he cryptid beanie babies that he buried in his backyard and he didn't want to move out of his childhood house. Oh, baby. Yeah, Mothman is a baby. And Sage also invented the lesbian Bigfoot couple known as the Hairy Feet People. Amazing. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of that. (laughs) If anyone ever wants to hear all the parts that everyone created, there's also Craig from Reddit who didn't make it into this story, but he's basically a black and green website blogger about cryptids. I love it. I love it. (laughs) All this episode has done is really make me want a Mothman plushie. Oh, that can be done. Okay. For for sure, my dude. Oh, my guy, my dude. (laughs) I love this character. For sure. He's so... I love that he's so wholesome. (laughs) In a voice and tone that, like, instinctively makes you, like nervous for what's going to come out of his mouth. I know. I just love the idea of a skateboarder who wears a beanie. He's always standing on a skateboard who just wants everyone to be happy and taken care of and is trying to be woke. I love it. I love him so much. I love him so much. So much. I love him. Again, I just don't want to be dramatic about it, but, like, I would die for him. So, like, I just want to be reasonable, you know? I'm such a baby because I... I like making characters, obviously, guys. Welcome to my corner of this podcast. Um, So I want to put Astrid and Daniel in a room together. I think they would get along. I think Daniel would be so excited about, like, whatever Astrid's got going on. Like, he'd be like, tell me more about, like, your job. You know, like, that sounds really dope. Also, Astrid is definitely canonically more evil than Daniel. I think it's in there. I think pretty much everyone is, so that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's Mothman. That's the Jersey Devil. That's Cryptids. That's our spooky season episode number two. Yeah, two down. I don't two think we've go. said Happy Halloween enough during this episode or even the previous episode. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween whatever day it is of October when this goes out. I hope, well, okay, my struggle during the fall season is that all of the things I want to purchase for the entire year must be purchased during this time of year. Yeah. And, you know, you can't just be doing that to your bank account. (laughs) So I am avoiding the entire internet. I want so many sweaters and jackets and skirts and pants and decorations. And Uh I'm overindulging myself on all of the maple flavored everything Mm. and cinnamon adding to every food and drink I have. Like, I'm just. Yes, Tracy. I feel like I'm indulging in the fall season this year more than I have in many years because it's like all I have to cling to right now. I know. And once peppermint comes out, like, honestly, everyone who loves Christmassy vibe things and, like, the weird winter non-holiday capitalism has associated with that, like, anyone who loves that, no shade. But I am always crushed that fall yeah. is over. I mean, I would say no shade, like, 
I wish I had that joy. Like, I want serotonin from that, too. But those flavors don't get me in the same way. No, it hits different. um, It hits different. Do you still have the sweater that we both have that's matching? Yes, of course. Tracy and I have matching sweaters. They're green. They're the best sweaters. They're green. It's really nice. You can see that sweater in Rowan's movie and Will. So oh, I look to see did if you can spot put it. that in my film. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did that on purpose. Weird. Yeah, I felt really special. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we, are we doing something good? I think we're doing something good. And then we have a review. You pulled a review? I did. So let's do that first because I'm really excited. So I pulled a review, a five-star review that someone left us on iTunes. Uh, We like to read those out on the podcast because, one, it really, really helps our podcast. And more importantly, it makes us really, really happy. (laughs) (laughs) So I pulled it up, Rowan. I I have it for you. Oh, okay, okay. I see it. I see it. Okay. Okay. I love this. I like the blind (laughs) read of the five-star reviews. Yeah, I really did just throw this at you. This is from W. Shull. The title is Lore But Better. <laughs> yeah. It's like lore, but with lovely ladies and going more in depth with insight. They are a delight. Rowan, you're a delight. That is very high praise. Lore is such a great Lore's podcast. Incredible. They made it into TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Oh, my God. Thank you so much. That made our whole... Well, for me, that made my whole day. Rowan just saw it now, so I'm assuming it'll make the whole rest of her day. (laughs) Thank you. No, that's big. I think... Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now I think it's time for something good. Okay. Can that be my something good? Because I still have feelings about it. All right, Tracy, I'm going to ask you to buy some time so I can live in that headspace for a second. Sure thing. Tracy, tell me something good. Okay. My something good this week is that I finally, after months of not doing it, got back into making my homemade scrubs and body butter and lotion and perfumes and all that good, good stuff. I also like to make soap, but that takes, when you're making soap from scratch, it takes so long because you have to make it and then wait 24 hours and then take it out of the container and then wait another four to six weeks for it to cure. So I'm too lazy and I don't like working with lye. But I recently, yesterday, made um, a scrub and a body butter that are scented with, like, maple and fall leaves and spices. And they make me so happy. So, Tracy, when I visited her, threw amazing things that she made (laughs) at me. I got a lotion bar and a coffee scrub and a solid perfume, and I live and die by them currently. And we were chatting on the phone, and I was gushing at her when mid-conversation she decided she was going to start <laughs> making I did. That it was body totally butter. because Rowan loved them. Um, so I went down into my basement where I'd put away all of my soap crafting supplies pulled them out in such a frenzy that Tim walked by and he's like, you okay? What are you doing there? And I was like, I'm crafting. <laughs> he's like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm just going to watch TV. Um, and it was so fun and the, the scents are amazing. Um, so I'm going to keep one or two for myself but then give the rest away to everyone. If, please put one aside for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. Um, so uh, the recipe that I use for those, I'm going to put on our recommendations page 
They are super easy to make. Um, it looks really intimidating when you see the list of ingredients, but um, <laughs> Rowan, Rowan's giving me a disbelieving look of that they're easy to make, but they're easy to make. Um, okay, I will say the lotion bars are like super easy to make. The emulsified sugar scrubs are objectively harder. I also want to quickly say that I am a shady lady about skincare. I read so much about skincare. I should have a degree by now. And I <laughs> truly do live and die by Tracy's lovely crafts. Thank you. Did you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there and we're going to have a brief conversation about gender norms. Okay. Did you know most of our listeners are male? You probably I didn't because I'm in charge of the analytics. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to quickly say to all the amazing gentlemen and and ladies and others who are listening to our podcast that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, ah, lotion is not for me or maple is not for me or whatever, if you want it to be for you, it totally can be. <laughs> yes, there is nothing stopping you from enjoying the things you want to enjoy. If you want maple scented lotion bars, if you want that fruity drink at the bar that is sugary and delicious, again, not getting it gives you an I'm a cool guy card from no one. Getting it gets you that thing that you like. Right. And even though capitalism likes to organize human vessel care into his and hers, that is not, that doesn't make sense because we all have a dermis, an epidermis. And uh, mm -hmm. gentlemen, your skincare doesn't have to be in a black bottle to be badass and masculine and ladies if you don't want your stuff to smell fruity like don't do it <laughs> yep yep totally agree so all right have i have do you have enough time have you had enough time yeah can you tell i was clearly buying myself some time bring it <laughs> all right rowan yeah tell me something good hi hello so i have been in it for a minute and I have been asking my Amazon Echo to tell me something good quite often. So with my parents' guidance, actually mostly my father's because he's very good at spatial relations, we did a Zoom call and my parents helped me figure out how to rearrange my room because I have now anxiously redecorated my room, oh, I would say about four times in five days. And oh God. With another human being's just existence <laughs> and guidance, I now have it in a place where it's it's nice. Good. I know that was stressing you out for a while, so I'm really, really happy for you. Yes, I have new furniture that I have to order. I have I spackled my wall. I have to do some more painting. It's never ending, but quite lovely. Good. I am so happy for you. That must be just like a breath of fresh air to have it in a place where you're you're moving forward. Yes. And I've known how to spackle for since I was very, very young. And it is still very affirming to spackle a wall. Mm hmm. I have to do that for the holes that I made trying to hang my curtain. So I think we've covered everything we need to talk about. Um, What's our next episode, Tracy? Our next episode is Spooky Spirits. 
<laughs> I know what I'm covering. I've known what I'm covering for the next episode for a long time. Um, so it'll be a surprise to me. Because Rowan knows what I'm covering because I, much like how she claimed Mothman very early on, I claimed my story very early on. I have claimed nothing so far. We will see. Well, we could do the Ghost of Rowan Hall by that point. All right. And on that happy, happy note, thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Mm, Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.